Welcome back, listeners, and thank you for joining me for Episode 8 of Creme de la Crime Podcast. This podcast is strictly dedicated to the facts and theories surrounding unsolved disappearances. This is done out of respect for the loved ones and of the missing. On the list this week is the state of Delaware. According to WorldPopulationReview.com, the state of Delaware has 58 unsolved disappearances. It's important to keep in mind that this is based off of actual known reported cases. It is possible the real number is higher than that. So let's not waste any more time, grab your wine, and let's dive in to a little Delaware true crime. Before we get started today, I wanted to give a quick shout out to one of my favorite podcasts, and that's MQT Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem with Sam and Paige. These two are so hilarious. I highly recommend going and checking them out, and definitely go follow them on Instagram at m3truecrimepod. So before we dive into the first case today, I wanted to remind you that like Crim De La Crime podcast, they also release on Thursdays. So as soon as you're done with this episode, go check them out. Hello, you lovely people. I'm Sam. She's Paige. Hey. Hey, what's up? <laughs> and with the power of dumbassery, we are M-Cubed, or M3, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem. With our squirrely, chaotic energy, we love to do research on cases that make you laugh, cry, and of course, make you go full T-Rex. You know, the level of uncomfortable that makes your arms retract and head attempt to be one with your shoulders. And obviously, the only vocalization is, RAAAAH! <laughs> <laughs> Find us on all the major podcast platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in our dumbassery every Thursday! Seriously, come join us. Both of the cases for today are heavy. And I just want to let you guys know in advance that I did lose some sleep doing research on both of these cases. But the first case on the list today is about a girl by the name of Jantel Danielle Johnson. Jantel Johnson was born on September 8th, 1994, to parents Kaima and Prentice Johnson Sr. She has a sister and older brother and was a student at Glasgow High School in Newark, Delaware. Jantel wanted to go to beauty school in Philadelphia to become a hairstylist and then eventually go to business school to learn how to open and run her own salon. Her mom, Kaima, did an interview with Dateline NBC and made the following statement. She loved doing hair. She was always changing hers up. She always did mine and her sister's, and it was great having a personal hairstylist. She knew that that's what she wanted to do. It was her goal. But that didn't happen. Well, we don't think it did anyway. We just don't know. Jantel was only 15 years old when she disappeared from her home in Newark, Delaware on February 3, 2010. She was also five months pregnant at this time. Her mom was quoted saying, It was a shock when we found out she was pregnant, but she continued to go to school and she kept working towards her goal. 
I also listened to an interview that the Vanish podcast did with a reporter by the name of Claudia Rivero. Claudia said she was a reporter at NBC10 at the time Jantel went missing, and she was one of the first to report on the case after the family reached out to her directly. Claudia stated in the interview that the week Jantel disappeared was also the week that she was supposed to find out the sex of her baby. Her family said she was nervous about having a baby at such a young age, which is, of course, completely normal, but that she was also really excited and was looking forward to learning if she was having a boy or a girl. On February 3, 2010, Jantel's brother drove their mom to the train station so she could commute to her job in Philadelphia, and then he took Jantel to school. This was part of their normal daily routine. After being dropped off at school, she started feeling sick and she called her mom just after noon to let her know that she was walking home early. Her mom told her, get some rest, and that she would call her to wake her up a little later. Jantel was planning on being picked up by her brother so they could meet their mom in Philadelphia for a family function. When Kaima tried to call her daughter's cell phone, there was no answer. Her mom made a statement saying, I figured she was asleep or went back to school. I wasn't alarmed at that point. Later, Jantel's brother showed up to the family's home at Autumn Park Apartments to pick her up, but she was nowhere to be found. The family said it was evident she had been there taken a nap, and made herself something to eat. When her brother walked to the apartment door, he found that the door was unlocked and Jantel's personal belongings, including her glasses, her purse, and clothing, were all in the apartment. Keep in mind, this is in February, so it's winter and it's really cold outside, so it's really unlikely that Jantel would have left without her winter clothes if she had been planning on running away. Her mom and brother made phone calls to the school and to her friends, but no one had seen or heard from her. Now I'm panicking, her mom stated. I felt it in my gut. Something had happened. Around 10 p.m. that night, her mom filed a missing persons report with the Newcastle County Police Department, who listed Jantel as an endangered runaway. It was stated that Jantel had ran away one time before, but because she left all of her personal belongings behind, including her glasses and purse, her family doesn't think that this is the case. So let's pause right here real quick because this is one of the most damaging things that can happen in a missing persons case is when anyone, whether it's considered someone under 18 or an adult, is reported missing as a runaway it's proven that when people see runaway instead of just missing person, that people don't look for these people, okay? People aren't looking for runaways because they think that they left voluntarily. So this was so damaging. And you have to remember, Jantel is a 15-year-old pregnant teenager. She's still a teenager. She is still a child, so instead of there being an Amber Alert put out for this missing child, she's labeled as an endangered runaway. It's more frustrating than I can even articulate. Jantel was also close with her family, and even though she had gotten pregnant young, her family had supported her and loved her through it. 
She hadn't been kicked out. Her family had not rejected her. She had no reason to run away. It just didn't make any sense. When her phone records were pulled, her last known call made was to the man she claimed to be the father of her child. Shortly after, her phone also pinged just a short distance from where this man's mother is said to live. In the interview on the Vanish podcast and in all of my research online, the name of the father has never been revealed. However, Claudia did reveal that it was known that the man was 26 years old when he had gotten Jantel pregnant. There are a couple theories surrounding her disappearance, and pretty much all of them point to this guy. The first theory is that this guy called her, asked her to come downstairs and to possibly take a ride somewhere, and then he did something to her. Another theory is that somehow he convinced Jantel to run away and stay in hiding. People speculate that this could be a possibility simply because in the state of Delaware, the age difference between the two of them made the relationship illegal. People think he convinced her to leave to save himself from possible future charges or potential prison time. Now, I did look it up, and the charge in Delaware for an adult his age having sex with a minor that's 15 years of age or younger holds a penalty from 2 to 25 years in jail. So I hate that this is really all the information that there is surrounding Jantel's disappearance. Unfortunately, the police really had no evidence to go on. And because they labeled her a runaway from the very beginning, I don't really think anyone was looking for this girl, which is so sad and so tragic for her family. I also wanted to bring this up casually that people had said that there was also another older man that Jantel had been in contact with. Now, I'm saying I'm bringing this up casually because I could not find any information about this man other than a slight claim that she may have been speaking to or calling or texting another older man. So I I really don't like to dive too deep into those things if I can't confirm them. So I'm just going to leave that out there because I'm hoping that maybe in the future we will get another update on Jantel's case. But I did want to throw it out there in case it is a possibility. Kaima said she often wonders if Jantel is alive and well out there, and if her grandchild has the same round cheeks that she did as a baby. Kaima remembers her daughter as a loving, kind-hearted teen that loved to dance. She was quoted saying, I never even got to find out if my grandchild was a girl or a boy. It's heartbreaking. I don't know what happened that day, but I don't believe she ran away from us. It's been so many years, but it still feels fresh. We would like answers. Jantel Johnson was last seen on February 3rd, 2010 at her family's home when she was 15 years old. She is an African-American female with brown hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a black ski jacket with fur around the hood and her hair was in braids. At the time of her disappearance, she was five foot two and weighed around 120 pounds. 
She was also five months pregnant when she disappeared. She needs glasses or contacts, but was not wearing any at the time of her disappearance. She is classified as endangered missing. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Jantel Johnson, please contact the Newcastle County Police Department at 302-395-8171. Before we go to case two, I just want to say that it always is so upsetting to me, these cases that there's really not that much information or background because I just feel like I get so invested with every person that I research and I learn everything about them that there is available to learn. And there are some cases that I feel like there's so much information that I'm never going to get through and finish the case. And then there's a case like this where there's a 15-year-old and a baby that have never been found. And there's really not a lot about this case. And I was wanting to bring this up because I know this episode may be a little shorter than the others, but Jantel's case really messed with me when I really looked into it and learned about it. And I had to share it regardless of how little information that there was. If we don't let them be forgotten, then the police can't let them be forgotten either. So this is why it's so important to share, talk about anything that you can do is beneficial to these cases because no one else is talking about them. So I just want to say thank you to every single one of you that tunes in every week, shares these episodes, shares the pictures on Instagram, on social media, Twitter, on my website, whatever it may be, because you are helping the families more than you can possibly imagine. The second case for today is about Nefertiri Renice Trader, and her family said that she went by Nephi to all of her friends and family. But before we dive into her case, just a trigger warning, her abduction is very terrifying, and this case actually gave me nightmares. So just be aware of that before we go into this, because This is probably one of the scariest disappearances that I've covered so far. Nefertiri Trader was born on February 21st, 1981 in Delaware to her mother, Denise Trader. And I found out the two actually shared the same birthday. She also has three children who are between the ages of 7 and 17 at the time of her disappearance. In an interview, Her mom described her as outgoing and friendly. She was close with her family, especially her mom, and Denise stated that they spoke on the phone every single day. From what I've found in my research, I believe her 17-year-old son, younger daughter, and a cousin were all living with her at the time she disappeared. They were living in a small subdivision called Saddlebrook in Newcastle, Delaware. There's only one way in and one way out of this subdivision, and that road is called Freedom Trail. This subdivision actually loops into a square, so it also has a small playground right in the center of the square. 
It's also important to note that this really isn't like an apartment complex. All the houses on this road are actually a form of townhomes. So this isn't an area where there's a lot of private space to hide and abduct someone. And what I mean by that, if you think about the way townhouses look, there's usually a front door, possibly a back door, maybe a patio. But with apartments, you know, you're usually going into a hallway to go into your apartment. So these were townhomes, meaning the entries are right out in the open. On the night of June 29th, 2014, Nefertiri had taken her cousin to work and had gone back home afterwards. Around 4 a.m. on June 30th, 2014, she decided to make a quick run to a local 7-Eleven convenience store on Route 273, and this convenience store was only a few minutes from her house. The surveillance footage from the convenience store has never been released to the public, but it was stated that she bought two cups of coffee, a pack of Newport cigarettes, and a loaf of bread. Before I move forward, I just want to let you know that the details of the abduction are about to begin. It's not clear what exactly happened after Nefertiri arrived back home from the store, but her neighbor named Joe Robinson stated that he was woken up by a scream from Nefertiri. When he went to look out of his two-story window, he saw a man drag her and then place her in the back seat of her 2000 silver Acura. Yes, you heard me correctly. He put her in the back seat of her own car. Her car had a Delaware license plate with numbers 404-893. Joe said the man was wearing khaki shorts and a dark hoodie. He later told police that he assumed Nefertiri was ill and the man was getting her into the car to take her to the hospital. So... He didn't call the police. Because he did not call the police, this caused a 17-hour delay in her being reported missing. 17 hours. Nefertiri has never been seen or heard from again. Her mom began to worry after Nefertiri didn't answer her phone calls. In an interview Denise gave on the Vanish podcast, she said after the calls went unanswered, She waited until the time of day she knew Nefertiri typically got home from work, and then she headed to her house. She said she knew something was wrong as soon as she got there. Nefertiri's flip-flops were on the porch, along with the coffee, cigarettes, and an unopened condom. The loaf of bread she had purchased at the gas station was in the yard and had been smashed like it had been stepped on. I'm just trying to imagine being a mom and not hearing from my daughter and going to her house and this being the scene that I find absolutely terrifying. The only clue, apart from the witness of the abduction, was surveillance footage from a Verizon store just a few minutes from Nefertiri's house. Her car was seen driving by after the abduction, and that was the last time her and her car have ever been seen. An investigation revealed Nefertiri did not have a sketchy background and there was nothing that pointed to any sketchy acquaintances either. In fact, detectives described her as a good and decent person. They stated, 
For her to disappear in the manner that she did is unacceptable to us as a police department. This case is also different from others that I've done in the fact that there was not a lack of police involvement in this case. It was quite the opposite, actually. Because of the witness who saw her abduction, police knew that she had not disappeared voluntarily. And this led to them eventually calling in the FBI to assist with the search. So this was one thing I was actually very happy about for once with one of the cases that I covered was that the police were immediately in this thing with her family. After Nefertiri was reported missing, police went door-to-door in her subdivision looking for anyone with information other than Joe that may have seen or heard something when she was abducted. Now remember, this is a subdivision, so it's hard for me to imagine you just being out in the open with all these buildings and there's not, you know, one other person other than Joe that heard her scream bloody murder while she was being abducted or didn't see this man shoving her into her car. I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. They did end up coming across a neighbor with a doorbell cam, but when they questioned them for the footage, they conveniently said the doorbell cam had been cut off that night. The family and police have both stated that the biggest problem during the investigation was that no one wanted to share what they saw that night. And the police stated that they were met with a code of silence from all of Nefertiri's neighbors. So even if others had heard or witnessed her being taken, they just refused to say anything about it. I also want to take a minute to point out a few things that I learned in my research that will probably clear up some questions you guys might have from what I've told you so far. The most common question I've seen brought up is why did Nefertiri buy two coffees at the gas station? People wondered whether she had planned for someone to come over later at some point, but her mom, Denise, actually cleared this up on the Vanish podcast interview. Apparently, Nefertiri's daughter loved coffee, and she really liked for them to have a cup together in the morning. So she had gone to get this coffee for her and her daughter to have when her daughter got up. Because remember, this was after 4 a.m. The second most theorized detail of this case is the issue of the unopened condom that was found on the porch. This small detail alone has led to a ton of theories from sleuths on the internet. The first theory about the condom is that it had fallen out of Nefertiri's own pocket. This doesn't really make sense to me because she didn't purchase any condoms at the store. I also read that two of her children were home at the time she disappeared, so it seems really unlikely to me that she would have been planning to have a male visitor over at this hour. The second theory, and the one that seems the most likely to me, is that it fell out of the pocket of the person who abducted her. Another frustrating detail about this case, and I'm sure all of you have to be thinking it too, is the neighbor named Joe that did not call the police. Like I stated earlier, this decision caused a 17-hour delay in Nefertiri being reported missing. It's really hard for me not to speculate what could have been done if he would have called the police immediately. If this would have been the case, police could have quickly been on the lookout for her and her car, but instead whoever took her had 17 hours or more 
to do whatever they were planning to do with her and the car. I really can't begin to imagine the what-ifs the family has dealt with over these years just simply from this alone. I've read and listened to multiple blogs and podcasts and interviews about this case, and Joe is by far one of the weirdest pieces of the puzzle. According to Nefertiri's mom, he has had three different excuses as to why he did not call the police that night. The first statement he made was that he didn't contact the police because he thought she was sick, like I said, and he thought the man putting her in the car was taking her to the hospital. Well, another statement he made was that he didn't call the police because there were always people going in and out or something going on at Nefertiri's house. Her mom stated that this was ridiculous because at one point, Denise had lived with Nefertiri for almost two years, and Denise said that nothing like this ever went on over there. As the years have gone on, Denise said Joe has continued to tell lies about Nefertiri. At one point, he stated that Nefertiri had been selling cocaine out of her house. Her mom said this is a complete lie and that she had never been involved in anything like this. When the police did an investigation into her past, I want you to know that they also found no sign that she had ever been involved in anything illegal at the time that she disappeared. The last statement made by Joe that I could find stated, Had I known something was going on like that, I would not have hesitated. It bothers me. I hope they find her. One of the strangest facts to me about this case is the issue of the missing car. It's one thing to make a human being disappear, but a whole-ass vehicle? People have speculated that there are a few different things that could have been done with her car. The first is that it may have been crashed into a deep body of water and has remained undiscovered. The second is the possibility that someone rented a large enough storage unit to store the car permanently out of sight. The third theory is that it could possibly be sitting in a junkyard somewhere and has remained unnoticed by someone that is not aware of Nefertiri's case. People have also questioned how the abductor came upon Nefertiri. Like I said earlier, she lived in a busy, open subdivision that had only one way in and one way out. The fact that he abducted her in her own car tells me that he had gotten there by foot because no vehicle was left behind at the scene. It's also important to note that outside of the subdivision, there's a bus route, which could also explain how someone could have gotten in and out without a car. Another theory that may explain the abductor not having a vehicle is if a neighbor was involved. Had someone been watching Nefertiri and planning to abduct her? Or was it a crime of opportunity and someone followed her home from the gas station? Something that also makes this so strange is stranger abductions typically take place during a person's normal daily routine. Most stalkers watch their victims, and they plan for the perfect moment to take them. So the big question is, was someone watching her and they just got lucky that she went to the store at 4 a.m.? With Nefertiri gone, her mom took over as babysitter and caregiver to her children. She made a statement saying, They remind me so much of her, and it's hard. 
To help cope with life without her daughter, Denise started making and selling bracelets, which is actually a hobby that Nefertiri introduced to her. The black and gold bracelets read, Keep the Faith for Nephi. She hopes to add the money earned of the $10 bracelet sales to the $30,000 reward out for any info that leads to Nefertiri's return. So before I start getting messages about this, I want you guys to know I am on a deep dive looking for the link to buy one of these bracelets. I really want one for myself and even digging through the original news article where her mom first mentioned making these bracelets, there was no link connected to that article. And as deep as I've looked, I cannot find a direct link anywhere. So I'm wondering if maybe her mom is just making these and selling them locally. It's possible that these bracelets are not for sale by mail to the public. But if I do ever come across this link, I will add it to my link tree in my bio, and I will also share the link on Instagram. Nefertiri Trader was last seen outside of her home at 4 a.m. on June 30th, 2014, when she was 33 years old. She was seen by her neighbor Joe being forced into the back seat of her silver 2000 Acura RL by a man wearing khaki shorts and a dark hoodie. Her car had a Delaware license plate with the numbers 404893. Nefertiri is an African American woman, and at the time of her disappearance, she was 5 foot 6 and weighed around 125 pounds. She has brown hair and brown eyes and was last seen wearing a pink sweatsuit. She has tattoos on her left arm, lower back, and the right side of her chest. She goes by the nickname Nephi to her friends and family. Her case is classified as endangered missing. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Nefertiri Trader, please contact the Newcastle Police Department at 302-395-8110. Well, guys, that's all I have for this week's episode. And as always, if any of my listeners have a loved one that disappeared and has never been found, and you would like their story shared on an episode of this show, please reach out to me directly you can email me, podcast 7 at gmail.com, or of course, super easy, go to Instagram, follow me at pod, and you can message me that way. But as always, don't forget to keep your eyes and ears open out here. Until next week, this is Sam signing off. Mm-hmm.